Welcome to the People Data for Good podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back to the People Data for Good podcast. I am honored to have Tanmay Manohar here today. He is the Vice President of People Analytics and Workforce Planning at Viacom CBS. Tanmay, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much, Al, for having me on the show. Oh, gosh, I, I, I'm doing well. And I, I have to say, I get excited a lot in this in this work, because I believe that I have one of the greatest jobs I can imagine, that I get to talk to people who are doing virtuous work on behalf of not only organizations, but the people within them. And you have a great breadth of experience in math, in analytics, in workforce planning, and actually bringing this work to life. So it's not just some theoretical, nice, you know, cluster of words that it's actually delivering meaningful value. So if you would, please introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do there at Viacom. Sure. Um, so I am the vice president of people analytics and workforce planning. Um, and day to day, what that means is essentially I use the information that we have about our employees um, to make their work lives better. Um, to allow them to bring their whole selves and their best selves uh, to the workplace. Um, essentially, you know, I am involved in the process from, you know, pre-hire through separation. So everything from uh, recruiting to, you know, workforce planning, diversity and inclusion, culture, uh, everything in between. Um, I get to touch in one way or the or another um, through the use of, of data and really, you know, humanizing the the experience of how we use data and analytics um, when it comes to our employees. So, um, you know, I love working at Viacom CBS, and um, you know, I love the the fact that we're we're creating content and we're telling stories, and and I really see that um, the work that I do and the rest of my organization does is really in in support of that. So, even though I may not be you know out there conducting principal photography or anything like that for one of our Paramount Pictures um, films, I still feel uh, very connected to um, you know to the work that we do. Not just from having grown up with it and being a consumer of it myself, but um, I really see that the people analytics and workforce planning work that I do um, allows us to um, you know create and tell important stories um, that bring people together. Well, I, after this, I'm sure Stephen Colbert is going to invite you on late show. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I truly believe and, and it, all jokes aside, I truly believe that your work is uniquely important uh, because you are bringing people analytics together with workforce planning, which translates into how recruiting is done, internal mobility, all, you know, D and I, as you mentioned. So if you would just explain what that looks like for you and why is it even together? Yep. Um, I think that you know, for our organization, workforce planning, like in many other cases, it's been a, a tough nut to crack. And I don't think, you know, any company really has 100% found a silver bullet on, you know, solving everything. Otherwise, you know, if it were, everyone would be in the perfect, you know, role for that they could be in. And um, everyone would be in a position that optimally maximizes their skills and, you know, is the the best return on investment, not only for the business, but for the the employees themselves. And, uh, you know, I don't think we'll ever get to that type of utopia. So in in some effect, workforce planning will always be 
uh, around as um, as something that organizations actively have to engage in. Um, one of the reasons, you know, to your point of why specifically is this part of people analytics, um, or you know, part and parcel with people analytics at, at Viacom CBS, is that we have a, a mentality here that you know when we think about human resources as an organization and, and our people organization uh, more broadly. If we're the people who have all the information about our employees, then why aren't we the ones bringing problems and bringing solutions to the forefront? I think a lot of times when people think about a people org or an HR org, they think about you know the the people that you call when someone's done something wrong, you know, like someone who <laughs> needs to come in and intervene in a in a situation. But if we have all this information about you know how our employees want to optimally work, uh, you know where their skills would be best suited around the organization, you know what are the trends in in headcount, in promotions, hires, terminations, representation from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. If we have all of this information, then why aren't we the ones marrying it with you know workforce planning. So I think that that analytics really lends itself into workforce planning and thinking about, um, you know, not just the, not really the short-term annual, you know, talent reviews or succession planning or, you know, development plans, but more so, you know, two years out, three years out, what are we looking at in terms of our workforce trends, our attrition trends, you know, can we diagnose any gaps um, in talent surplus or supply? What does the supply look like externally and internally, right? Should we be automating certain processes so that our employees can focus on projects that are that are more important that really require human judgment and human interaction, um, you know, things that are not automatable. Do we think about whether we want to, you know, recruit, develop, automate, retain, outsource, redeploy talent? How do we think about categorizing different types of risks that, um, you know, might impact our business and its profitability? So when we think about all of these elements of workforce planning, it made sense to us to approach it from a people analytics standpoint, because when we take a data-driven approach to solving these types of talent problems, we want to make sure that we have the right information out of the gate um, and that it's something that we have a set of individuals within the people organization um, who can work with our line leaders to solve this workforce planning conundrum um, in tandem. You know, it's it's something that I see very much as an ongoing process, not a one and done. Like you come in, you write some big white paper about what needs to be done in the organization, and then it's on to the next one, right? Like it's it's always a continuous part of your your company, sort of the Japanese operation style um, of continuous improvement, really, um, of can you always find, you know, new ways of, of improving and, and having that sense of Kaizen, I believe it's called. Yep. Gosh, I, Tammy, as you're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, you gave me chills there at the end too, because many organizations have taken what I would call a data-centric approach, and they have not really had the discussions to identify what the priority information can and should be. And the most clear example is for me, workforce planning is often housed in the recruiting organization and it's not aligned with what's happening given internal dynamics. And what I heard you say is that it is a holistic approach. You're not only looking at 
arguably the recruiting strategy and internal mobility strategy, but you're looking at work strategy. How is work going to get done? And so I think all of that is exciting for any listener, and no matter what role. It's like that's where the world needs to go. However, there is a significant, what I would call, knowing doing gap um, to echo Jeffrey Pfeffer. It's like, yeah, we kind of know that we have to do that, but actually, how do we do it? And what I heard you say is that you're taking a process-centric approach, you're getting the right people in the room, and then having the discussions, and that's informing how you move forward. Is that a fair playback? And would you want to add anything to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd say that's a that's a fair playback, you know, where to your what you mentioned around it often falling, you know, within recruiting and the the purview of a talent, you know, acquisition organization. The important part, uh, you know, of our process is that we, you know, we include our talent acquisition team as part of this process as well, so that it's it's not just done in in a silo of HR, but though mm-hmm. we're thinking of it from a learning and development standpoint, we're thinking about it from talent acquisition. I mean, if you think of kind of four key areas of of workforce planning that we look at around organizational structure, you know, skills, needs, and training, um, sourcing and hiring, and then um, retention and engagement. Each of those areas cuts across all elements of our business. If you think of something like employee value proposition, um, and you know that that's really shifting these days in terms of um, you know not just you know what you're getting paid to do and and those types of benefits that were historically tied to to an EVP, but you're thinking now, especially as people are working remotely and thinking a little bit differently about how they integrate their work and and their life together. Um, there are elements of the EVP that need to be considered through a different lens. Um, and that's something that, you know, requires not only the, the talent acquisition team's input, it requires your learning and development team or org effectiveness team's input. It requires the input from your HR business partners. It requires input from your legal team around, you know, what can and can't be done, who needs to be where. Um, I mean, if you think about, you know, now in, in COVID, people have traveled around to all kinds of different places or started to work remotely. And from a legal tax accounting standpoint, you know, I don't know how many people, you know, thought about the fact that, oh, if I'm working remotely, then I might be in a different state where, you know, now I'm bringing up certain tax laws around where I'm being paid versus where I'm, you know, working and all of Mm -hmm. those things come into play. So when we think about all these um, intricacies across those, those four elements of workforce planning, it really does require a a holistic view of thinking about all these different topics of, you know, of EVP, of, of skills gaps and, and skills identification. And, you know, it, it takes, takes a village (laughs) to make sure that we're, we're doing this properly. And that's just all the, the folks within HR. So, you know, beyond that, there's all the folks who are working with in the business and in our technology team and in all different parts of the company to, uh, to kind of bring it to life. It's still, you know, early days, but we're, um, you know, we're hoping that we have something that will, will come to fruition soon. I, I love what you're sharing in so many ways, because having been a practitioner before, I will say that our primary customer was HR itself. And we had other customers within the business supply chain and and different business units, which was all fine and good. However, the idea of bringing facilities in, employee relations, um, digital transformation, IT, 
uh, operations. That's what I'm hearing that you have what I would call for lack of a better term, you know, talent governance, um, where you're actually involving people, the right people in the process, not just, you know, this black box that's just creating some stuff that you're actually helping or getting their input and help to set priorities and making sure that they're ready to take action on the insights that you're uh, delivering. So is that really where you want to go with this and so far and what you have done that you have taken this village and created some structure around it, some cohesion, whether that be meeting rhythms or setting expectations where they're consuming and taking action on reports or, or dashboards or whatever insights that you're generating over time. Is that talent governance and getting the right people in the room something that you've focused on? And is that something that you would say for others that, hey, this is a must have and an early stage action that you must take? Yeah, I mean, I I found that it it works very well for you know for us especially because when we bring in folks from other parts of our organization, you bring in a lot of different ideas and and you allow people the opportunity to be creative in their roles where they might not have otherwise had the chance to in their day to day responsibilities. I mean, we think of our company as a you know kind of as a creative first organization that has um, obviously through the content that we make, but there are opportunities to be creative and, you know, to express yourself um, and to combine, you know, disparate data sets and types of information in, in ways that, you know, you may not traditionally define that as creative, but I think it really is. I mean, if you think about, let's say, bringing an example of a new predictive recruiting tool that we're bringing, you know, to the fore, and you go to your legal team and ask them about it. If you frame it in a way that says, hey, you know what, we're trying to solve this particular part of the workforce planning, you know, landscape. And what are some areas that you see might be white space for us where, you know, there are areas where we can, we can push the boundaries a little bit, you know, where we can pilot, um, you know, our CEO is a, a big fan of, you know, making sure you pilot, but, and don't bet the farm. Um, you know, it's important mm -hmm. to push the boundaries, but don't, you know, don't go crazy and take in, you know, an inordinate amount of risk, you know, really think carefully, do your diligence, make sure you have the data. And then, you know, with some careful thought, go ahead and, and pilot and, you know, try to do new and innovative things. And if you ask that to your, to your legal team, to your tech team, to your information security team, who, you know, many of those folks might be so used to having to say no on a regular basis mm -hmm. to, to different types of requests, you know, how can you think about putting them in a position where they're able to say yes to things that, um, mm -hmm. oh, you know what, in my experience in employment law, you know, these are the things perhaps we can't do, but here are some areas that we can, um, that I think we can push the boundary, that I think we can, you know, try to be on the cutting edge of, of improving an employee's, you know, engage or uh, an applicant's engagement with us as a company when they're first starting out and coming to Viacom CBS as a potential employer. So I personally think it's a, a great you know idea to co-opt some people around the company to help you, you know, in whether in workforce planning or whether in honestly, I think this could be whether you're in product development or any part of the organization, this is probably applicable. But I think it's really important that you get some input from individuals who are not in your direct 
work stream so that you not only have this diversity of thought, but that you also give them the opportunity to not only lend their expertise, but to open your eyes up to areas that you might not have, have thought about solving a particular problem in. Mm -hmm. So I, I certainly rely on you know, our uh, legal team, our InfoSec team, our technology team, and our business um, and business partners in, you know, in ways that other folks might not. And I find that that really makes, you know, everyone come together. And if everyone at the end of the day solves a problem together, I think it, mm -hmm. it brings them closer together as a, as a team as well. Certainly in, you know, times right now when we're all remote and, you know, we came through a merger at the end of uh, 2019 and many of us have actually not met each other in person yet. So <laughs> I think even, you know, getting to do uh, this type of work together and, and solving problems together brings us together in a way that we otherwise might've been able to if we were in person, but, you know, right now we're, we're doing what we can. Well, I, yeah, I want to ask you about um, DNI in, in a second because that's a perfect example that affects multiple functions: recruiting, internal development, retention, you know, compensation, rewards, all that stuff. Um, but before that, I want to ask: going back to the governance notion, do you have a standing meeting once a month with this formerly disparate group where they can hear each other's ideas and, and so forth, or is it more point to point? over time where you're bringing people in as needed. What, what does that look like? Yeah, so with the, the core team, it's bi-weekly. Um, because we, you know, we have a set of things that we need to get done and, you know, it's a way mm -hmm. for us to be accountable, um, with each other. And especially because we're all not in the same geographic location, even remotely, we're not all in New York or all in LA. So we have some folks who are around the world. So we need to make sure that, you know, we're all checking in periodically. So for that kind of core, uh, from a governance standpoint, we meet almost every other week. And then we, we do have this sort of hub and spoke model where as we need to bring in certain experts and in certain topic areas, they join in you know, on our meetings and, and present, um, or, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that we give a task to an individual to follow up with someone else so that, um, for example, if we're taking a decision, um, you know, one of the things we're working on right now is, um, looking at a skills gap analysis for one of our departments. And, um, you know, we're thinking about it. Most of that workforce is domestic, but we're going to have to make sure that we loop in our international team as well to make sure that, you know, the type of training or the types of skills that we identify are in need um, or will be a need in the next few years are also, we're also thinking of it from a global lens. So then we also want to make sure that you know, we don't need our international HR business partners or international legal team on every one of these meetings. Um, but when we have a use case that's applicable to them, that we go to them specifically. Um, and it may be, you know, a, a global initiative, it may be specific to a location. Um, you know, we have uh, offices and, and networks in India, Argentina, um, the UK, and, you know, over 40, 40 different countries um, that we have offices in. So we, you know, we try to make sure that we use this hub and spoke model to, um, you know, keep the ball moving forward with our core team and, you know, not waste the time of everyone else um, in that next level network, um, but that we're bringing them in and keeping them updated um, as much as as much as we can. Yeah, I'm going to run with this thread before I ask the DNI uh, question as a focus topic because. There's two things that come to mind uh, based on what you share with the hub and spoke model, which I view in most organizations of any size as a leading practice because you can only do so much directly, right? So, you know, to scale, it's a required um, approach, arguably. But the question that I have is 
number one, who do you report into? Who helps you prioritize your work given all those things that can be done? And it also dawned on me as you were sharing, how did you get where you are as a function, as a capability? Um, did it exist prior to you? Did you create it? Did you bring workforce planning and people analytics together? Because it, it dawned on me when you said, well, they, we bring them in. So that implies that they know who you are. They know what you're doing. There's a level of trust and respect there. So to build that internal equity, to get your work done broadly, took work. So, you know, again, who sponsored all this work um, and continues to sponsor the work? And how did you transition to this state that you're in right now? Yeah, um, no, it's a great question. I think um, the, the first part of that, um, you know, on who do, do I kind of report up into and how do we prioritize? Um, we, I'm actually part of a, um, a broader group that deals a little bit more with digital um, HR. Um, so that digital HR, you can think of it as an operations group. Um, we're going through the, the process of rebranding a little bit now and making sure that, you know, post-merger, we have our own, um, own identity as a new, you know, new group, essentially, that was created post-merger. Um, but it, you know, that group directly reports up into our chief people officer. So we have a senior mm -hmm. vice president leading that group, reporting up into our um, chief people officer. Um, so really through that um, is how we prioritize a lot of our, a lot of our initiatives um, mm -hmm. to the second point about how did, um, you know, the people analytics and workforce planning um, function essentially start. There wasn't one um, before uh, I started it. So um, a few years ago uh, when I joined Viacom CBS, I was actually in our um, what's now our ad sales um, group uh, at the time was advanced advertising and, and data strategy. So when I was completing my MBA, I actually interned at um, Viacom CBS and uh, created a uh, sort of a data-driven mood board for our um, advertising team. So it was essentially something where if you um, were looking for an integrated marketing campaign with, you know, one of our, our brands um, and you had a target audience you were going after, then it was um, kind of a visual aid, a data-driven visual aid to help the creative team think about what does this, what are this audience's affinities? So if you were to walk into their bedroom um, of that, of that audience, you know, what music are they listening to? You know, what movie posters do they have on the wall? Um, how do they consume content? Where do they consume content? What genres of content do they consume? What are the influencers? Who are the influencers they follow? Um, so all of this essentially was um, I created in a repeatable infographic um, that pulled in from various different data sources um, and presented it in uh, a creative visual manner for our creative team. Uh, and I called that product uh, Viewprint, sort of like a viewer blueprint. And mm -hmm. uh, it's a tool that we used on a lot of different uh, marketing campaigns for you know, an integration with Broad City and, and Tomb Raider, the video game. Um, it was used in um, the release of uh, the Deadpool movie, a, a bunch of different things. Um, and that effectively got me my full-time role at Viacom CBS. Mm -hmm. um, so I joined then the, you know, that same data strategy team full-time. I worked a lot um, on a couple of different uh, projects related to 
um, influencer marketing related to how do you find the right influencers for marketing campaigns? How do you predict how well a social media post will do based on its different attributes? Um, so I, I worked on that for um, you know a couple of years and um, at that time, our executive vice president got promoted to chief data officer of, of the whole company. Uh, he took a, stole a couple of us and made uh, you know kind of a, a ragtag group of uh, internal data consultants uh, who were really responsible for evangelizing the use of of data and data strategy across the company. So um, that was a real turning point because at that time I got to work across the organization. So I got to work with a little bit with Paramount Pictures. I got to work um, a little bit with our communications team, with culture, with HR, um, and, you know, worked on some pretty fun creative um, projects. One, I think, which really kicked off this transition into into HR more full-time, or at least, uh, you know, planted the seed and allowed that to germinate, Um about you know whether this was something that I would be interested in long term uh, was a culture project. Um, at the time, we had a new CEO, and um, he wanted to rebrand how we thought about you know our internal culture. And we actually asked employees around the world to write on little post-it notes um, what they enjoyed about the company, what they would change, you know what really excited them, um, and they put these up in um, all of our different different offices across the, the company. And we got thousands of these little post-it notes um, at the end of those couple of weeks and transcribed them. Um, and then we actually did a cluster analysis on these. Um, and we created a little 3D uh, visualization um, of you know, this n-dimensional space of, of post-its um, where we were able to see cluster areas of topics. So you know they could be as kind of mundane as you know, a hundred people want coffee <laughs> in the break rooms yeah, um, right. to, you know, much more meaningful things. And uh, one of the things that came out of that as an example is that we saw this hotspot related to um, giving. Uh, and we dug into that mm. a little bit and we said, okay, well, what's going, what's going on here? Um, and we actually found that a lot of employees really wanted a way to be able to um, give back to the community. And some individuals in the past had, you know, had been part of a, um, an employee, you know, donation or gift matching program. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, were, there was a lot of conversation around that, uh, you know, around different offices uh, in different locations. So one of the, the action items that actually came out of it was that and results was that we actually reinstituted our um, charitable giving match program. So everyone up through VP level um, is essentially able to donate up to $1,000 of matched um, uh, you know, money. Um, and yeah. Viacom CBS will match that amount. And the other thing that we added um, as part of that was that um, at the time, if you weren't able to donate money, you could also log your hours um, and the company would convert that into um, a monetary amount to donate on your behalf. Um, wow. So it was a really um, fantastic way of, of being able to take some immediate action. You know, how many times you fill out an engagement survey or something like that, and you know, really nothing gets gets done with it. You don't see what happens, and um, we're actually really able to use that um, charitable giving program among a number of other things. Another thing was that we wanted a, a people wanted a lot more transparency with mm -hmm. the, the new uh, leadership 
administration. And so we actually started a series through that called um, Bob Live, where our CEO actually joins um, a quarterly live stream. It's been almost monthly actually during COVID now, but um, joins a, a live stream where you know he brings on other guests. They could be internal, they could be external um, to talk about a number of different um, topics. Uh, could be related to you know something like the release of Paramount Plus recently for us and the team that, that launched that. Could be our CFO talking about our financials it could be in our most recent one, we actually had um, a doctor join um, from our CBS News team uh, and talk about vaccinations and, and COVID and return to work and a number of different things. So we've actually seen a, a far greater amount of communication um, as a result of that, that culture initiative. So um, those types of things started to get me thinking about um, Oh, you know what? It looks like there's an opportunity to apply analytics to to culture to to HR, um, and I went to you know I started to get more and more of these requests. So I went to our chief people officer at the time and our my boss then our chief data officer and said, Hey, you know what? Um, it doesn't look like we have a people analytics uh, team or function to speak of. Um, would you mind if I took a crack at it? Basically, I went to them with a um, a people analytics strategy deck where I had you know written out what my plan would be for you know starting up the function and you know how I would prioritize certain projects and what um, sub functional areas there were within that that I could uh, kind of lend my my expertise to. And um, they said, you know what, sure, <laughs> take a take a crack at it, and um, you know let's let's see how it goes. So. Um, I actually then switched into the HR organization uh, permanently reporting into our uh, chief people officer. And um, over the past um, year and a half, um, almost two years now, uh, was able to prove out the uh, worth of that as a function. Um, and of course, now I'm part of this, this broader um, digital HR group um, that handles you know beyond just analytics and workforce planning, a number of other um, parts of our um, you know, workforce experience and workforce enablement really. And um, so it's been uh, a fun journey, a bit of a, a winding path to get from um, you know, really advertising into uh, people analytics. But I really think of it from the viewpoint of, you know, I was looking at customers at the end of the day and how could we as a company better serve them. And now I think of our applicants and, you know, our employees, um, as well as our stakeholders more broadly, um, you know, investors and shareholders and, and audience and everyone else in that ecosystem as our customers. So mm -hmm. um, in the same way that I think about how can the company better serve our audience, now I'm thinking about how can we better serve our, our employees and our applicants through through people analytics and through workforce planning. Yeah, I, I love those stories so much. I, there's so much greatness in there. I was about to say goodness, but it's more appropriate to say greatness because <laughs> I, and I, I'm not just giving you a pat on the back. I, I am saying that for, to call out this, um, you obviously have the analytical chops. You have the educational background, you have the experience you know, doing consumer analytics you understand data and how to stage it for analytical purposes and the unique challenges, particularly with HR data and doing that culture work. And as important as anything, you developed the uh, internal equity through nurturing key relationships, which provided you with the trust 
among them and others to get after this this work because what I've seen be problematic is there's been gaps in that capability uh, map that I just laid out. Um, and many people, analytics leaders have been too junior. They haven't had the um, relationship equity that I just referred to. They haven't had the uh, maybe experience uh, to or fortitude to set up processes, you know, set up meetings and say, hey, this is what I need from you because it takes being vulnerable to actually you know, do that. Um, so there's some really, I think, salient uh, messages that can be captured out of what you just shared. So, you know, th thank you for that. And I want to come back um, to it when we talk about the future of the discipline and where you're going. But for now, I want to ask um, explicitly that question that I haven't got to yet uh, about uh, diversity uh, and inclusion, because that is important to you personally. It's important to yeah. your organization. And it's important to, you know, the world in general, particularly given what's happened over the past year in the U.S. So if you would, you know, how have you tackled the challenge and you know, what is your you know, position on where this you know, discipline, which was formerly kind of, okay, there's one person designated to do it, yet they were under-resourced, uh, you know, they didn't have much leverage, uh, but you're realizing that have really served as an advocate to move the needle in this regard. So can you speak to that for a bit? Yeah, um, and I think for for us, one of the things that has really um, you know helped us along the way is the partnership, you know, among different parts of our organization um, when it comes to um, the topic of DNI. Um, we have a global uh, inclusion council actually that that spans um, you know not just you know what you might traditionally think of as as just HR and maybe a um, you know whoever the head of diversity is and different you know in an organization, but we have not only those groups but actually functional. Um, and line leaders across the entire company. So, you know, the like president of MTV, like we, we have all of these people as part of the inclusion council. So it's not just individuals from, you know, quote unquote, what you might call corporate, um, but it's actually people who, um, you know, are making a lot of the decisions, um, not just about our internal uh, workforce, but also about the people who are, um, working for us and with us to create content, um, individuals in writers rooms, you know, in front and behind the camera. So, um, we've actually, you know, put on our, um, inclusion site, um, viacomcbs.com slash inclusion for anyone listening who wants to, uh, dig into it a little bit more, but we've set some of our, our goals on there around, you know, what we're, we're thinking in terms of representation, what we're thinking in terms of, um, you know, how we want writers rooms, um, to be populated over the next couple of um, couple of years, uh, how you know much we are uh, investing um, into you know creating opportunities for um, gender, ethnically diverse, LGBTQ, you know, veterans, all kinds of individuals with disabilities, all kinds of different um, individuals to uh, create amazing work and to tell their their stories. Um, so it's it's an incredibly important part of of our company and of, of our ethos, um, especially, you know, personally as well to me um, as, uh, you know, an individual of color as well, that um, the company is is investing so much um, into, um, you know, putting its money where its mouth is and, and you know, walking the talk uh, when it comes to a lot of these um, initiatives. So 
we've really benefited, especially from the partnership between um, the Office of Global Inclusion um, and the, the head of that, who is a, a wonderful, um, Marva Smalls, a, a wonderful mentor um, to a lot of us as well, um, as well as um, a wonderful partner and champion of, of DNI initiatives, um, not only within Viacom CBS, but across the industry um, of, of course, Nancy Phillips, our chief people officer and, and um, my own uh, boss, Johan Ehrenstein as well, who runs this um, digital, um, digital HR org. Um, as well as um, Julie Phelps, a number of different, um, who's the head of communication. So we, we kind of have this, this group of stakeholders along with, you know, Krista Dahl Montero, our general counsel, who think about diversity and inclusion from a number of different lenses. You know, we're thinking about it from the legal front. And, you know, of course, you know, in the UK, where required to um, you know provide certain information to Ofcom, the regulatory body that um, you know that regulates media companies. Um, but we're also thinking about what can we do beyond that? What can we be more forthright and transparent in in the information that we provide? So you need HR, you need the Office of Global Inclusion, you need legal, you need communications, you need all of these different elements um, of the company as well as um, you know, everyone else across, you know, the, the Viacom CBS landscape to get on board with this. Um, we mm -hmm. actually put out on our um, website, a, um, a breakdown of our representation by gender and ethnicity um, overall at VP level and ups our executives um, domestically and globally. And um, mm -hmm. that was voluntarily. Um, you know, it, it's something that a lot of companies, especially in the media industry, um, and I'll include tech in there as well, since historically it's um, as an industry has been called out um, for yeah. perhaps not having, um, you know, the most uh, diverse representation. Um, but um, that we actually went out and, you know, transparently put that data out there. And not only that, you know, mentioned, hey, these are our, our goals and this is what we're working towards. Um, it's really important because from a, a people analytics standpoint, I'm the one who, um, along with my team on the back end, um, am working to make sure this data is captured properly, to make sure it's accurate, to make sure we're, you know, we're dashboarding it in a way that um, lands well with our executives. Um, at the end of the day, we have to be able to convince um, our CEO, our senior leadership team, as well as our board, um, you know, this is what's going on. These are the steps we need to take. Here, here are the you know deficiencies. Here's what we need to to bridge. Here are the areas we're doing fantastically in, and we should keep up that momentum. And and are there areas where we can use learnings from certain parts of our organization and and apply them to others? Um, you know, mm -hmm. there's um, when you think about. Um, some parts of our organization like BET, um, of course the audience um, that primarily watches BET and the type of individual who generally applies, you know, most of the composition of our BET organization is black or African-American, but a lot for a lot of other networks of ours like Nickelodeon and Comedy Central, you know, there's not necessarily a, um, a gender or ethnic or any kind of lean to it. Um, I mean, sure, Nick is, you know, is primarily more for children, but, and Nick Jr., but um, there's no reason that the individuals working within brands like that um, shouldn't reflect the broader population. Um, you know, if we're trying to tell 
stories um, that resonate with our audience, how can we not reflect that audience um, as well? And um, how can we not reflect them in, in every part of the process, um, not just in corporate, but you know, our, our talent, um, our, you know, our writers, producers, directors, key grips, every, you know, everyone who is involved in um, the creation of this, this content. Um, we really need to strive to reflect um, our audience and, and tell those stories in a, in a way that's authentic. Um, so when I think about diversity and inclusion from, um, you know, my viewpoint, I think that there are a lot of different things that, um, you know, that we're working on. We're, you know, we're doing a lot of work on the recruiting front, um, you know, using predictive analytics in certain places, not only to improve um, our and maintain a diverse slate uh, of applicants throughout the recruiting process, but then also to de-bias um, job descriptions, right? And make sure that we're not putting job descriptions out there that use, you know, coded language or things like, you know, coding ninja or using sports analogies, like knock it out of the park or things like that, which, mm -hmm. you know, a yeah. lot of people, especially in, in media, they want the job descriptions to sound cool and fun and, you know, cutting edge. Mm -hmm. And um, the issue with that is a lot of times um, you can bias it towards um, one location or to a particular gender or ethnic group or whatever it might be. And, um, you know, the type of language that you use may be quite um, exclusionary without you even realizing it. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, you might not get amazing applicants who otherwise might've been very qualified for that position and otherwise would have applied had you just made a few small tweaks to your, you know, to your positions. Um, and so, you know, we're using a lot of tools and technology to, to help us along the way. Um, but you know, you mentioned earlier, um, kind of my math background, and I always still try to make sure that we're, um, to our CEO's point of piloting, but not betting the farm, um, that we're going through that process um, rigorously, you know, that we're mm -hmm. making sure we're reading all the technical manuals when we're working with, um, you know, another partner who comes, you know, to, to work with us or a vendor, that we ourselves are um, setting up experiments and really being data scientists um, when we're looking at, at problems like, do we have a control group set up, you know, an experimental group set up? Um, are we actually looking at um, whether there's a statistically significant difference in, you know, in the results um, when we're applying a particular type of technology versus not? Are we making sure that, um, you know, we're de-biased, right? That there, there isn't a sense of, um, you know, proliferating, any kind of um, bias as part of a recruiting process or you know anything else. We really want to make sure that there isn't any adverse impact. Um, we really want to make sure that we're we're doing things by the book, that we're seeking, you know, back to the point of, of looping in different teams, right? Where we partner very closely with our legal team, our information security team, our tech team, other parts of the company that um, are very well versed in some of these areas and, and in areas where even they aren't that, you know, they seek help from their peers as well. Um, you know, bringing in right. outside counsel to, to help us review things. So um, I, I know that's a, that's a lot, but uh, DNI is a, a topic that um, you know very passionate about. There's a lot of things we're we're doing well. There's a lot more that we um, you know are working on that you know are, is coming down the pike. But um, I feel that we're in a very um, strong position, considering that 
um, we've taken a stance towards, um, you know, transparency and proactively trying to, um, you know, move the company and the industry forward. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously passionate about it. Not only that, that passion has driven some meaningful actions. So, you know, congratulations to you and your team. And so I have one call out and then another question. We got time for a, a couple, a few more questions here. The idea that there is a specialist in data and analytics in an organization has been both valued for 20 plus years. I mean, it's been, oh God, we're gonna do people analytics or workforce analytics, whatever you call it. I mean, it's been a top one or two priority for, among CHROs for literally 20 years. Yet in many respects, we haven't progressed very far in some organizations. And one of the things that has been difficult is for CHROs and others like, who is the person who's going to lead this team? Who is uh, the business partner to that individual or small group? And what I wanted to call out is that in the recruiting process and even writing job descriptions, you know, data, it doesn't only take the form of numbers. It takes the form of language and it can be juxtaposed against other data that which ends up telling a story. And so, there, but there needs to be, in my view, and what I hear you um, sharing and what I'll just observe as saying that you are, you're a professional analyst. You know the risks and opportunities of certain data sets. You know the analytical techniques that can be applied to tell, you know, to generate insight that will in turn take appropriate action. That requires a certain set of educational experiences. Um, oftentimes, you know, learning development professionals, they might have an opinion on, you know, a survey or set of data. Recruiters similarly, you know, comp similarly, all down the line. But there is a role, correct me if I'm wrong, for a professional analyst to qualify things that can be done and also put the brakes on certain things that should not be done because of the adverse impact um, that, you know, might be um, present. So with that as a staging, all this work is difficult. Um, I believe I'll speak for myself. I, I just having sat in the role, I know I could have made a living in a much easier way. And so, and I just will project that onto you, which then invites the question, what's your why? Why do you do this work? Cause it's not easy. It's not linear. It's not, um, it is creative. It's going back to what you were sharing before, which creates ambiguity and, and all these things of, around uncertainty. So you're, you're, you're going through the woods and you're, 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 you know, trekking your own path in many respects. So what is your why? Yep. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm someone who's, who's really driven by um, problem solving and by doing things that, you know, leave my environment in a better position than when I found it. So, you know, I started my career actually in consulting um, and, you know, was in, you know, pharmaceutical marketing consulting and, you know, went to business school and then made that transition into, um, into media. Um, and I think it was, it was easier to make that transition because I took, you know, kind of one step at a time towards that, like moving from, uh, marketing in pharma to marketing in media, then marketing in media to HR in, in media. Um, and kind of throughout that process, one of the things that, that has always driven me is how can I get to a point where, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing more 
um, for others. Um, one of the things that that really drives me now in this in this particular position is um, I grew up actually around um, theater and film, and I was um, very involved in you know musicals growing up, um, coming from uh, a family that has a strong blend of of arts and sciences. Uh, and um, you, you wouldn't think it from my biomedical engineering um, background, <laughs> um, but I actually love theater. Uh, and one of the things that I um, thought about when you know I was starting to make this transition into um, you know into media and then into people analytics was, you know, where can my skills um, as a consultant, as an analyst, um, as someone who prioritizes um, you know an, an empathetic way of, of thinking and, and approaching problems where can I do you know the most good um, and I thought that being in people analytics being in, in corporate in media was in an area that I could do that um, more so than than going the route of um, the artist. Um, and mm -hmm. it's become even more relevant to me now because my younger brother um, actually studied musical theater and has been studying incredibly hard his, um, his whole life um, to, to pursue that dream. And, um, you know, out of college most recently was in the um, Mean Girls Broadway production uh, as wow. Kevin, Kevin G. Um, and I think now about the type of work that, that he does and... Um, you know, as as an actor um, of color, you know, what are the types of opportunities that he is going to be able to to get? Um, probably one of the few, you know, professional um, musical theater um, on Broadway um, performers of his particular ethnic descent. Um, I think probably the only one from our, our state uh, for where we're from in India, but. Um, I think about, you know, what are the opportunities for, for him and for, for people like him? Um, and mm -hmm. if there's a way in which I can, you know, create a positive impact from the corporate side um, of the media industry uh, to drive diversity, to drive inclusion, to make sure that people who, um, you know, have the time, who have stories that they want to tell um, are being given the opportunity to do so. Um, that's really what drives me. If in, you know, five years, ten years, twenty years, I feel like I've left um, the media industry in a better place than when I found it, um, particularly from a DNI standpoint. Um, and that, you know, when you go to watch a movie or or you watch one of our shows, you know, you feel connected. You, you know, you watch stories that that resonate with you. Um, even regardless of of what the gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation or, or whatever it might be of the the characters are that that you connect with you know these human stories um, and that that brings people together um, if I in some way can positively impact that um, then you know I think that's uh, a career that is um, would have been well worth it um, and well mm. worth uh, doing the hard thing when, you know, perhaps at times it might be um, possible to take um, an, an easier route doing, you know, applying mathematical and analytical skills in, in some other area. Um, so that's really well, what, you know, what drives me. 
Well, yeah, thank you for sharing. And yeah, I'm inspired. And I really appreciate uh, that you have made that decision. Uh, I think uh, Viacom CBS is going to benefit. I think the people within the organization is going to benefit. And, you know, granted, it's not that you just assume a role and everything ma magically gets better. It does, however, take a lot of chopping wood over time and, you know, resilience, persistence, creativity, all those things. So uh, I just, yeah, again, I'm happy that you've made the decision because we need more people in this space in, in the world you know, like you. So thank you. Given that I am inspired and we're coming up on time here, I do want to ask this question because as you and I have talked about before, there is a growing demand for people, analytics professionals, yet uh, younger people, people who are uh, either students or early in their career, don't really know how to get to where you're sitting today. Uh, so what is your, uh, actually better said or better asked, what would you advocate young professionals or students do to get positioned to have a career in people analytics, people strategy, whatever this might evolve into over time. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things I, I tell people, um, young professionals kind of regardless of what arena they're going into, um, is always to think about what are areas that I can go into where the the path isn't yet well trodden um, in terms of you know when I you know created this uh, people analytics position for myself um, you know there wasn't one right and it was basically something that I you know I spent a lot of time studying and researching you know what is people analytics how do I apply it what are the focus areas and and went through the process of not only teaching it to myself but then also creating um, a pitch deck for it um, that allowed me to to show that I knew it well enough that I could communicate it well to others and what my vision was for mm -hmm. that for that area um, and that I would actually be solving problems that are top of mind for the people that I was presenting it to <laughs> um, so mm -hmm. I would recommend the same thing um, for you know for people getting into the field right now that you know there are now, you know, some degree programs that are starting up in people analytics that, that didn't used to be there in the in the past. Um, and, you know, certainly you can go through, you know, that trajectory. Um, but, you know, for anyone else who doesn't go, go that route, um, think about in your organization or in another organization, where are the, the problem areas? Um, and those problem areas don't have to be, um, you know, quote unquote, HR problems. Think about the business as a whole. I always, you know, when I present trainings on data-driven decision-making or other things to, um, you know, my own HR organization, I always make sure that they take away from that, you know, make sure you understand your business that you're supporting. If you're supporting our, you know, film um department, make sure you understand the, the process of making a film, know what the terms are, know what, you know, what it takes to market a film, um, how long before you actually start filming, you're going to have to start getting, you know, your marketing plan in place. Um, if you're supporting our ad sales group, make sure you understand what our advanced advertising offerings are, make sure you understand how we actually earn money, um, mm -hmm. you know, how we sell inventory. Um, so, from that standpoint as well, when you're looking for a, a position in people analytics or in anything, understand how the business that you're, the company that you're applying to, um, how, how they're making money, how their business operates, and what are the areas within that 
um, that you can latch onto that might have a people-driven solution and take mm. that and make that your pitch for starting up a people analytics um, organization. Or if one is already there, then use that whatever use case you find um, as a way to you know, put in your application or in your interview, hey, this is a problem that I've seen within your company. Here's what I think I can do to help you solve it. Um, here's what I'm going to be able to do to you know, give you more than what you're paying me for. <laughs> Um, and right. I think ultimately, if you can give you know more value than what you're you're taking, um, it's a, a great thing for the organization, and it's a great thing for for the people who work there, um, you know, to benefit from your your work. So um, I think that's that's the advice that that I'd give. Don't be afraid to you know to try something new and to pitch something. Um, you know, the the industry that I worked in just before this a few years ago of of social media um, advertising wasn't really there when I went to college myself. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, Facebook had just become a thing. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, new areas are always um, starting up. So don't, you know, feel afraid to uh, take a stab at it. So I know we're at the end, but I would also really love to hear your, uh, a piece of advice from you too for, um, in your experience of what you've seen work, um, work well for people starting out in this area. Well, my, my advice is to listen to what you just shared. <laughs> I was I was uh, laughing because I'm like, oh, Tam May, there's you've obviously been a management consultant in your life. It's like identify a need and fill it, tell a story, and here's your value proposition. But it, it was beautifully said, and I mean that sincerely. And I, I want to call out something because and it relates to answering your question. It takes, and we're going to say it for the third or fourth time. It uh, it's a creative discipline. And I, um, I have long shared, and I'm thinking about uh, when I had the good fortune of presenting HR Tech, it had to be nearly 10 years ago, where I shared that we're in a crisis of clarity on creativity, courage to actually get this work going. In other words, we don't know, we're not clear on what we can do. We're not clear on the you know, we're kind of want to press a button and for the data and insights just to come out, but it takes underlying work. And that goes to that last part where, you know, we have to have creativity. We, we have to, we're doing something and oftentimes that didn't exist before. And we have all these technologies, but we still have to harness them in processes and, and we have to take action. And so that takes work. And so it's not magic. It's not just looking for a solution that's going to out pop the answer. So to your point, if you're a young professional, make sure that you understand the change that is envisioned by leaders and, you know, how and businesses in general, and how are you going to play a role in filling that need? And if you can, you know, I think the future looks bright. Um, I think this is going to be our last question. And then I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, how people can learn more about you and, and follow you. And it goes to the other side of that uh, audience. When you're putting together that pitch deck, there has to be a level of receptivity by the CHRO, head of talent, uh, head of digital transformation, whoever. So quick tidbit of advice for those leaders inside HR and out who are thinking about this, they sense this should be a priority, but they don't know how to commission this as a project, as a team, resource it accordingly. What are your you know, one or two um, tidbits of advice for that, that group? Sure. Um, I, mean, I think at the, 
at the end of the day, most things are, um, you know, if you boil down most problems, they, they center around people and talent um, in some way. And when you think about, you know, one of the primary costs that an, an organization, particularly at scale, um, can incur um, is around um, kind of misused talent where talent isn't, you know, put in the right place to take advantage of, of their um, skills and, and interests um, and, and natural talents, um, but also in terms of um, attrition, right, of course, and being able to um, replace individuals who, who have left the company. I think there are a lot of places mm -hmm. now where, you know, if, if individuals are struggling, we're trying to put, um, you know, to quantify um, why we need to do this. Um, even on the DNI front, um, you know, in the past, people may have thought, oh, yeah, it's just something we should be doing. Um, but all the research that, that has come out, you know, shows that companies that have diverse leadership, um, you know, are performing better, that companies, um, you think about it, even from a, a sales standpoint, there have been situations in the news where individuals have gone into a pitch meeting and because they have not been, you know, a diverse sales team, the individual that they were pitching um, to got up and left um, mm -hmm. and said, you know what, this is something that's important to me. You clearly, you know, don't either don't care or are blind and can't see that that's a priority. And so, um, you know, you don't get, you know, my revenue. Um, so it, I mean, it's now become a very clear, um, you know, financial nucleus as well, is that it's not just the right thing to be doing from, a, you know, a moral ethical standpoint, but financially for a company, um, it is the right thing to be doing um, in order to create a healthy, sustainable, um, you know, workplace and a healthy, sustainable company that hopefully will be in business for, for many years. So uh, from the standpoint of, um justifying it to your senior your senior leadership um you know think about quantifying it in these different ways um and in terms of you know getting it started um think about having a few individuals who you know have complementary skill sets related to um of course you know consulting related to you need someone in there who who knows some math um at the end of the day uh this is analytics and and there's going to be a level of uh technical sophistication that's required um and also someone in there who uh is able to uh, be a bit of a visionary and and come up with um you know not only what are the the problems that we're not thinking of but what are the potential solutions to um to solving them so look for maybe one person and maybe a, a few different people who each excel at these different types of skills um, but i think if you can have a combination of those skills um you'll have a people analytics team um that is able to not only identify problems, but then come to the uh, the table with a solution ready to go as well. Um, you know, not just a problem identified. Um, so, uh, I think if you have all of all of these things, um, you'll be in, in pretty good shape. You know, I, I love your response so much. Uh, and me being me, I'm going to sneak in yet one more question. So forgive me. <laughs> but I think if, if I'm a listener, I would want this question asked, is that here we are in 2021. Um, you know, COVID is winding down, hopefully, knock on wood, all those you know, things. Mm -hmm. um, 
And when I uh, grew up in this space in the early 2000s, it was really about kind of heavy lifting and staging the data in SAS or SPSS or even Excel, and then doing the analysis, package it in a deliverable, finding an audience for it and, and going on down the line. Now, much of those that process I just described is automated. And there are tools all over the place. And most of these tools are, uh, they're, process-based, they're, they're meant to improve or stand up a process. And they're, they might say that they do analytics, but usually it's the analytics that are you know, within that process, right? So the question is, to what extent does that people analytics leader that I commission, if I'm a CHRO or a, you know, head of talent or HR operations, whatever, I bring in an individual or a group, how much do I have to be open-minded to a budget uh, that is going to include tools? And two, at the end of the day, is I am a people analytics leader, and obviously in your shoes now, that how much do I have to be an educated buyer? And it's not just doing the heavy lifting internal all the time. It is actually creating an ecosystem of solutions that are going to help do what I need to do. What are your thoughts on, on that before we wrap? Um, I think I think it's important because um, you know when we think about justifying um, what we need to get done within a people organization, um, the first thing that doesn't you know it doesn't necessarily come to mind um, first that we should be doing like a discounted cash flow analysis or thinking about you know um, time value of money and you know all of these concepts related to uh, you know budgeting and and forecasting. Um, but that's actually the process that, that I take when I think about the types of investments that we're, um, you know, that we're trying to make, um, you know, are we actually investing um, money into this project that we're going to see um, a considerable amount of payoff and something that more so um, would give us value than if we were to take this money in and you know, put it to something else, right? We're thinking about our internal rate of return, our hurdle rate, et cetera. Um, so I, I kind of pulled a little bit from my my MBA when I applied that that type of thinking to this this people analytics um, function. But I think it was really important because it it served to ground um, our team in um, a, a way of thinking that you know we're using our company's resources and we're using our um, you know, our human capital in a, in a way that we need to get the best bang for our buck. Um, we can't just do something because it like, it seems like it's something that we should do. Um, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of times in the rest of the company as well, like learning and development, like, yeah, people should probably be learning, but does it mean you should spend $2 million on a new, you know, LMS, like, or on, you know, a training, like you think about it, right? Like what's, the, what are you getting from it? If you do some sort of innovation training, are you actually setting up metrics to follow up down the road, whether the people who went to that training have now started new projects with each other that they otherwise wouldn't have? And are you now quantifying those types of projects in terms of, um, you know, changes in top line or bottom line, however you're, you know, you decide to quantify the, the positive impact of that um, or mm -hmm. whether it's retention because now they're being able, they're able to work on things they otherwise might not have. But you always want to think of, you know, this process from, um, you know, uh, be, you know, be kind of serious about your, you know, about your resources and, and quantify it in a way and justify it in a way that, um, you know, that makes sense. Um, yeah. so, and the other thing is, you know, yes, you need to be a, um, an educated buyer, but I always, always, always 
prefer adoption over sophistication. Um, mm -hmm. You can get by on a shoestring budget in a lot of cases if you have real problem-solving capability. Um, yeah. The internship project uh, that eventually became a, a product that I created, Viewprint, um, I created it for $20. It was a $20 subscription to an infographic creating tool. And I taught myself all the rest. And I leaned on a lot of other internal resources to teach me how to use, you know, Adobe audience manager and teach me how to use a lot of other tools that we, that we already had available to us. So, it, yeah. you know, it, you can create a lot of amazing things. Um, I mean, that, that tool led to millions of, you know, dollars in sales and it was created with 20 bucks um, in a summer internship. Wow. And so wow. even in, in the people analytics sphere, some of the pilots that we're doing, we're getting an amazing amount of um, value from them, but they're not costing an arm and a leg. Um, I will say that we, you know, we do use some analytics tools and platforms that do cost a lot, um, but we're always going through the process of making sure that um, whatever we're using is actually worth it. Um, and that, mm -hmm. you know, is it, um, is the problem that that is trying to solve central to our company? Um, is it, you know, a number one priority for our chief people officer, for our CEO, for our board, for our shareholders, our investors? Um, and from that standpoint, um, you know, we think about, you know, how many problems will this be able to solve and how important are those problems to solve? Um, it's always important to have adoption over sophistication. You can, hammer certain things into the ground with, you know, fancy um, algorithms and um, vendors who promise the, uh, you know, the sun and the moon, but I would much rather um, something more reasonable where someone's willing to partner with you to solve a problem um, and, you know, have individuals within my team who are actually going to use that tool um, to mm -hmm. get things done. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think you need an, and you have to have an enormous budget. Um, if you have the resources, fantastic, but I would still say, make sure you're getting, you know, the best, um, the best value that you, that you can, when you're making that investment at the end of the day, you're, you know, it, HR might be a cost center, but it's, it's a cost center that can achieve, um, some pretty substantial, um, savings um, and some pretty substantial increase in, in productivity that is is not necessarily related to just letting people go you know there's a lot right. of, um, there's a lot of good that that um, that our organization can uh, can do so make sure you're thinking about it from from that standpoint well Tam, thank you for sharing thanks for doing what you do I mean I'm just really thankful you took the time to share your journey, your stories, and uh, look forward to hearing from you again. How can uh, listeners, viewers uh, follow up with you and uh, see what you're doing? Yeah. Um, and I, I genuinely appreciate you having me um, on here. Uh, it's been, it's been amazing. It's been great to, uh, you know, to speak with you and not just now, but um, in the lead up to this uh, as well. And um, if anyone wants to uh, reach out to me, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Tan May Manahar. Um, I anticipate there will not be too many other Tan May Manahars around. Uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly not working at Viacom CBS, so yeah, I shouldn't yeah, be too yeah. hard to find. <laughs> well, again, Tan May, you, you be well, stay safe there in uh, New York, and uh, hope to see you in person before too long. Take, Thanks take again. care. Look forward to it. Bye. Thanks for joining the People Data for Good podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the People Data for Good movement, please visit us at pafau.net.